Uh, great time of worship. Thanks so much to the team. So good. Uh, my name is Mark McKinley, if you don't know who I am, and it's my absolute privilege to be able to minister this morning, open up God's Word. We're continuing with the prayer series. Uh, Don kicked us off with two fantastic weeks. Thank you, Don. Let's thank Don, you know what I mean? Just like, let's thank him. Don, we appreciate you, we value you, you're an incredible delight to be around, you really are, even though your stories get boring of swimming the whole time, but anyway, we, we love you, and we're tired of hearing that you're going to go and watch rugby in some country overseas somewhere for a bit, we're tired of it, so we're moving on, we're moving on. We're going to continue week three of our prayer series, as you can see, this fantastic uh, prayer and just so you know, the P is balancing there um, with some, anyway, that's trivia, but uh, just so to know, there are some books behind there holding it up. That's how we did it. It's not uh, some magical trick. But prayer is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think one thing that stood out for me, and I know Don did a fantastic job the last two weeks, but one thing that really just resonated with me was this concept that everyone prays. Everyone prays. I think the thing is, is that it's just who you're praying to, and the desire of your prayer, and, and what are you wanting to get out of times of prayer, which I think for us is so important, and trusting that this series would somewhat shape in us an understanding again of prayer that maybe is not as self-indulgent as maybe some of our prayer lives are. Lord, please give me, let me, and today I want to touch on a topic called the upward prayer of awe. Upward prayer of awe. My high school experience as a boarder was hugely influenced by prayer. I remember from grade 8 to grade 12 being part of a youth group where we would have all-night prayer meetings. Yeah? And when you're a young person, you figure out the best posture for an all-night prayer meeting. Often it's face down. People think, yeah. McKinley is praying. Actually, at one o'clock in the morning, McKinley's sleeping, but everyone thinks he's praying. But we used to have all-night prayer meetings. I remember we'd even have moments of fasting and prayer. Uh, it was just a, a beautiful season of just helping shape in myself an understanding of prayer and a pursuit of prayer, a desire for prayer, a hunger for prayer. I even remember we did fasting as a youth. We fasted, and in boarding establishment, it's difficult having to go to dinner when everyone around you is eating and you are not eating, okay? You can actually score some brownie points because people want your plate of food, so you can say, well, if I give you my plate of food, you do this for me, you know what I mean? It's one of those moments. So fasting did play out quite positively for me in many cases. But it's a thing of that actually in us, there is this desire to pursue something, and we pursue many things in our lives. And for us, for my brother and I, we had the privilege of being in an environment where we pursued prayer. I just want to highlight even this young man, Maxwell Machali. Maxwell was this incredible senior who had a heart just to take people on a journey of prayer. And he would come wake me up every single morning at half past five. Many times I ignored him. 
Many times I told them what to do with himself, as in get away and go pray by yourself. But yet there was these moments where I would get up at Hopper's five in the morning and Maxwell would encourage us as youngsters, come, we're going to go pray. And at our boarding house, there was uh, these old World War II bunker things, I think they were. That's what we thought they were. And we would go and pray there before the bell would ring for everyone to rise. You see, prayer for us was shaped not just by our own ability to engage, but by others who would encourage us. You see, the life of the local church isn't about a lone ranger trying to live out a culture of prayer alone, but it's about realizing that in our journeying with Christ that God would bring people around us, and maybe you are that person that God is raising up to stand alongside someone to encourage them and to bring them into a place where they are strengthened in this arena of prayer. The ability to pray and commune with God has to be the greatest gift to you and I this side of eternity. I believe it's the greatest gift that you and I have been given this side of eternity is our ability to pray. We're not alone in the journey. God has placed us in community, but God has placed His Spirit upon us to be able to intercede with us so that we would understand something of the journey that God is taking us on. If you just think about it, the privilege of prayer, that through prayer we are able to engage, hear me out here, we are able to commune, we are able to engage with the one who put the stars in the sky. If we actually just stood back and got, wow, we are able to engage with the one who skillfully created humanity. It's just not some from a distance experience, some sort of force out there. You and I, as we go before the God in heaven in our moments of prayer, we're engaging with Him. You all look at me and say, yeah, duh. Of course we are. But it's an absolute privilege to be able to commune. It's mind-blowing that we get to be invited in on this journey. The heart of this series is an awakening of prayer where God is ultimately our pursuit. When I met Meg, you guys love my stories, I'll just keep talking stories. But when I met Meg, I started to pursue her. How many men are out there that have pursued their wives? Come on now, just quickly guys. I'm not going to ask who's still pursuing, but just like, we're there, we're there. <laughs> I remember pursuing Meg. Now, before I met Meg, my dream was to buy 16 by 9 speakers for my little shuttle city golf. I was saving up every month because I was pursuing good sound in my little city golf shuttle four-speed. Just putting that out. I only had four forward and one back. That was, I was pursuing it. I was just like, man, saving every month, putting money away. I'm going to get those Pioneer 16 by 9 speakers, and I'm going to pull them in the back thing, it's going to be amazing. You'll hear me coming down the street. That's what I was pursuing. Until Meg arrived. And then that dream was derailed. It was absolutely derailed. You see, when you pursue something, you order your life around it. You prioritize it. Before Meg, it was speakers. And then when Meg arrived, it was her. And I feel like in this moment, I think our pursuit has to be, and we know this, but God himself. 
You see, when we pursue other things, we pray into the benefits that those things bring to us. That becomes the starting point. God, if you would just give me this, well, Mark, what is your pursuit? Is it that or is it me? If my pursuit is God, then ultimately my life would present something of this journeying with Him, this desire to, to sacrifice it all. And I know we don't love hearing that word sacrifice, but there is a sense of laying down other agendas for the sake of engaging into meaningful engagement as I did with Meg. It was now coffees. It was now lunches. It was now dinners. Oh, my word. Where's my 60 by 9 money going? Okay, it's going somewhere. It's going into a pursuing, pursuing of a relationship that requires Mark McKinney to, to push away some of these other things that potentially could be distractions. Why? Because the focus now was on one person. And I believe just in prayer, it's exactly that. God would allow us to hone in on something of who He is. Even though we see through a glass dimly, we don't quite know exactly who He is. It's like, actually, God, as we continue to pursue You and we pray and we engage, we're getting to realize who you really are. I love the account in 2 Samuel 22, and it's David. David is running away from King Saul. He's running for his life, and yet in that moment, it's like God saves him, and he finds himself in a place where Psalm 18 is written. And it's this beautiful uh, portion of Scripture, and I want to read it to us. It says there, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Was, he, was David strong at that moment? No. He felt vulnerable and weak. He was running away for his life. He was trying to hide himself, but yet in this moment, he's able to declare truth and say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge he is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then this beautiful picture of the ending of this portion where he says, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I'm saved from my enemies. It's like this beautiful moment where he in his vulnerability, his insecurity in the place of feeling in a sense, God, my life means nothing. My life is going to be taken from me. What does tomorrow bring? He reassures himself through this moment of speaking about who God is and then recognizing that in his prayer as he calls to the Lord, the Lord is worthy. And because he is worthy, I'm able to find myself in a place of being saved from my enemies. So this morning I want to open up Matthew chapter 6 as we continue on, but let's jump straight in. This is a moment in your, in your Bibles that is highlighted as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is addressing a large crowd. He addresses a whole bunch of topics. He addresses lust. He addresses um, anger, retaliation, love, he just sort of goes, bang, guys, this is important. Bang, this is important. Then he gets into a place where he speaks about giving to the needy, how we are to support the needy, and that sets up this moment of speaking about prayer. Verse 5, and when you pray, what does that imply? That we will pray. Yeah? When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Don't you love that portion? He's saying, actually, don't, don't be like those who, in a sense, parade themselves, parade their Christianity, in a sense, parade their abilities to be able to pray. But ultimately, he's saying, rather go into a place where the only person who sees is God. See, when we pray, we're not praying to, in a sense, present ourselves as righteous or holy amongst people, but we're ultimately prayer is a moment of presenting ourselves to God, to find ourselves in a place. It doesn't mean that when I arrive home, it's like, where's Meg? Meg, where are you? And then Ruth goes up to our wardrobe and opens up, and there's Meg sitting in the closet praying. Like, that's not what the scripture's meaning. Like, where's the McKinley family? We've come to visit. They're all praying in the closet. It's like, where, you know what I mean? What's going on here? But it's a moment of just giving us this, this imagery of going, you know, public, all about Mark McKinley, not much about God. Well, actually, what is his reward? Was He's getting his reward. Self-promotion. Recognition. He's got his reward already, but actually it's prayer is this beautiful place of going, actually as I come into this moment of humility, surrendering my life before the one who ultimately is the person I'm praying to, he is the image that ultimately I am looking to and trying to elevate and glorify in this moment as I find myself in a place where no one else knows what I'm doing, only he himself is glorified in that time and in that moment. Verse 7. Let's carry on. It says, and when you pray. Don't you love that? Another start of a verse. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for, their, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. What he's saying there is just stop trying to be like those who puff themselves up, those who have a lot to say, but yet have no meaning behind what they say. Rather be the ones who understand that even though we get the privilege of prayer, we serve a God who is all-knowing. That nothing escapes Him. And then He goes and He addresses these people by verse 9 and says this, This then is how you should pray. So the first portions of verses is this how you shouldn't, this is how you shouldn't. Now we get to the point where it says this is how you should and if you want to join me, you can. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The King James and certain other translations end that section off, which if you were in any formal school, and you did the Lord's Prayer, it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is how you should pray. As we look at these instructions that Jesus gives us on how to pray, I'd like to highlight a few thoughts as I just pull apart these few verses. I'll be referencing Martin Luther and John Calvin over this time, so it's just some rich, rich insight from those two individuals. So number one, the upward prayer of all starts with who he is and who we are. It starts with who he is 
and who we are. It's amazing how this portion of instruction starts with this line, our Father in heaven. Whose Father? Our Father. Not the Father or a Father or your Father. It's our Father. Calvin explains that to call God Father is to pray in Jesus' name. Why would he say that? Well, John 14 verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. The usage of the word Father is powerful here. It's a personal usage. It's been able to say that, well, ultimately, if he is my Father, then we are sons and daughters. It, in a sense, narrows the gap. It in a sense says that when we pray, it's not like I'm sitting on this side of the chasm and God is sitting on this side and it's like we're trying to reach out to a president on the other side of the ocean. We're trying to reach out to my CEO and Zoom to in a sense engage with them and hopefully he quite understands. No, he brings it right down to a place of saying, you, oh God, are my father. That means that my identity is found in that, that I am a son or a daughter of this father. It's a beautiful picture. I don't come fearfully, and again, maybe your view of a father here on planet Earth was maybe not the same as maybe my view of a father, but I just want to encourage you that this is the ultimate discovery as we pray that Jesus is reminding these people is that as you engage in prayer, you start, your starting point is one of intimacy, of being one with a father, not even a friend or a colleague. And because of that, I'm able to stand secure knowing that a father would embrace and welcome an engagement from a son and a daughter. When Ruth comes to me and says, Dad, I've got a question, I don't ask her a whole bunch of questions to justify her ability to come and ask me a question. I welcome whatever the question is. Come sit on my lap, let's have this discussion. This is this imagery, it's this family dynamic, this beautiful picture as Jesus is prepping for this moment of fathering, of prayer, saying, well, this is the starting point is one of acknowledging our Father is in heaven and He is the Father, our Father, that we're able to delight in. The second part is our Father in heaven, then it says, hallowed be your name. That word hallow or hallowed is, is to make holy. As we hallow His name, we are making His name holy. We're consecrated or greatly revered and honored. This name that we are declaring as holy is one that we revere and honor. The Old Testament has around 21 different names of God. So when we hallow the name of God, we're not just hallowing a name. We're hallowing names that ultimately represent who He is. And I want to touch on seven quickly as we hallow his name, we hallow Jehovah Nissi, who is God is my refuge and banner. We're not just saying some name, we're actually declaring that he is my refuge, that he is the banner over my life. Where does that come from? Well, Moses in Exodus 17, as the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites down in the valley, there's this incredible story about how Moses lifts up his hands, and as he starts lifting up his hands, what happens? The Israelites start defeating the Amalekites. Moses starts getting a bit sort of frail, and he's like, I'm getting a bit weak now, and all of a sudden, the Amalekites start winning. I can just imagine that. Hey, Moses, put up your hands. We're losing here, man. Like as he lifts up his hands, the Israelites start to take ground again. 
So two individuals see this, and, and they rush in, and it's, uh, um, oh my goodness, I've just hit a, 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 a miss on the two. Oh yeah, Aaron and her. So Aaron and her come alongside Moses, and they lift up his hands. And this is that picture of the banner over the Israelites. God, the banner, this picture of, of victory, this picture of speaking of the refuge of God, the protection of God. He is Jehovah Nissi over your lives. As you declare his name and you hallow his name. As you hallow his name, Jehovah Jireh, which is the second one, who is God our provider. The beautiful Genesis 22 text where Isaac, uh, Abraham takes Isaac up to sacrifice his only begotten son. And he comes to that place and they're preparing the altar. And Isaac asks his dad, he's like, dad, yo, I'm helping prepare this whole altar. This is great, but where is the offering? And Abraham says to his son this beautiful thing, don't worry, God will provide. And God does provide. As he's about to sacrifice Isaac, an angel stops him, and and all of a sudden there's this ram caught in the thicket, and they're able to take it and sacrifice. In your life, as you hallow the name of God, you're hallowing God will provide. You're hallowing Jehovah Rapha, who is God who heals, something of what we heard this morning in our time of worship. He's the one, as we hallow his name, as we glorify him, we're declaring that God is the one who heals. Jehovah Shalom, we love that. Go to people's homes and Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. What are you saying? No, you're actually hallowing the name of God, whose God is our peace. You're declaring it. Jehovah Ra, which is God, our way and shepherd. John 10 speaks about Jesus himself as the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. What about Jehovah Tzitzkanu, which is God of our righteousness? Psalm 23, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the last one that I want to touch on is Jehovah Shammah, which is God is there, ever-present. And so when you find yourself in a place of prayer and you're saying, Our Father, hallowed be your name. As I speak about the hallowing of your name, I'm saying there that you are ever present in my home. You're ever present in my family's life. You're ever present in every situation that I find myself because I'm hallowing the name of God in these moments. Luther points to the fact that all baptized Christians have God's name put upon them. As name bearers, they represent a good and holy God. And so we are praying that God keeps us from dishonoring the name by which we are called, that he would empower us to become ourselves good and holy. This beautiful picture, as we hallow his name, his name is upon us. As we hallow his name, his name is upon us. We represent him into every aspect of what we live in. Because as we are experiencing something of the Father who is in heaven, me as a son, as I hallow his name, I walk into an environment as a son, knowing that I present to the world something of who he is. I present to the world a God who is a shepherd, a one who is righteous, a God who is ever present, a God of peace and situation, a God who heals and a God who will provide, and ultimately a God who is the banner and refuge over our lives. (laughs) It's powerful. I trust we're tracking. Second one, the upward prayer of all responds in praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. I remember being in grade seven, six and seven, in boarding school as well. Feels like my whole life was in boarding school. 
But I remember being quite caught up in this religious space of making sure that when I went to bed, I prayed and I read, read a, a chapter of the Bible. And so I felt like I had to do it. It felt like I, this was the right thing for a Christian boy to do. So I felt like I was sort of restricting myself to have to do this thing. And I would always go to the easiest portion of Scripture. And to be honest, I would probably camp out in that portion of Scripture every night because it was easy to read, it was easy to find, and I pretty much knew it off by heart. And that was in Psalm 100, verse 1 of 5. And it says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a? Is it a noise? Mark, why are you so loud? Uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'll make a noise. I'll be loud. All the earth. It says, serve the Lord with? Ah, Okay. Grade six mark or grade seven mark in boarding school. When you serve, it's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful place to be. You do it with gladness. When you serve in the life of the church, it's with gladness. When you worship, you make a noise. You do it loud. Now, this scripture is shaping me as a young kid. I'm like, okay. Come into his presence with singing. All right. So we're going to enter into his presence just with declaring worship and praise. Okay, that's why we do this as a church. Okay, I see it. Verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His identity. Okay, so actually, I, I, I thought I belonged to mom and dad, but actually I belong to Him. This is amazing. I'm His. What He has called me to, I value. What He has spoken over my life, I value as high. I order my life around what He has said. Why? Because He made me. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pastures. Then it goes on and it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So the upward prayer of awe responds in praise and thanksgiving. The upward prayer of God responds with Psalm 100 type of Outworkings, making joyful expressions, worshiping, singing, glorifying Him, knowing He who He is, knowing that He has made me, knowing that He is the one who will provide because He's the one who is the sheep of our pastures. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Can you just see it? So when we get encouraged in our worship to, guys, let's do this thing, because it's here in Psalm 100. It's encouraging, imploring us to be a people that respond in praise, respond in thanksgiving, respond with great noise, with great sounds of life, with great ruckus. Yeah. Thanks, Colin. I'm there. I want to encourage the older folk in this space. Hear me out. I know sometimes it can feel a bit like, woo, I know it can feel that way. I want to encourage you that, that we need you. We need every person in this hall. We need the gray heads to be the ones, to be the ones that bring maturity into the space. We want to encourage you that ultimately this is family. 
And I want to encourage you, if you are in this space going, man, this church, I don't know, this new guy came in January. Things are a bit loud now. They're a bit like hectic. Can I just say, sorry, don't, don't laugh like that. That's a, that's a cheeky laugh. I'd rather be part of a church that is a Psalm 100 church. When I hit 80 one day, God willing, 90, whatever, I want to be part of a church where my great-grandkids can enjoy. I don't want this church to become this, what's left? It's just my preference is left, but no one else is here. You see, when we come with our preference, we are very self-indulgent. We only want what we want. But when we come, like I said, at Christmas time, and there is that weird Uncle Bob, and there's all these interesting people, when we look around and we say, my kids have a future here, my teenagers have a future here, we have a future here, and those who have gone before us, we are continuing to honor and appreciate because they are making the way for us to enjoy what we are to enjoy. And they have gone and they have fought battles that we don't have to fight anymore. And they've gone and prepared the way because ultimately we are living in the benefits and the fruit of what they did for us. I think that's local church. And I want to encourage us as common ground from Stancherberg, that Psalm 100 would be something that resonates in our hearts. That we can deal with a bit of noise because this is family. We can deal with a bit of life because at least it keeps my heart beating. And I know I'm part of something that is bringing life. Let me carry on. Number three, the upward prayer of all reorders our inner lives. It carries on in this instruction that Jesus gives these people. It says, your kingdom come. I don't think we should be praying that too often because that's quite a declaration. Your kingdom come, and we're going to get to your will be done, but firstly, your kingdom come. Calvin believed there were two ways God's kingdom comes. is through the Spirit who corrects our desires, and through His Word, the Word of God, which shapes our thoughts. You see, my desire, I desire to, will Holy Spirit come and shape my desire to be that which is ultimately that which desires after you? Well, my thought is going a bit haywire now. I need to open up God's Word. This is what Calvin is saying, because ultimately His Word would start to shape us. I've got this piece of wood here and some sandpaper. And you know, the, the reality is that as we walk out of these doors straight after this meeting, this culture that we live in, everything that we watch us is slowly shaping us. You put on the radio, the radio is shaping us. You look at your Instagram, it's shaping you. You look at your Twitter feed. You look at your stocks. You look at the internet. You look at Netflix, it's shaping you. This never ends. It just keeps shaping you. Molding you. Bits are falling all over the show. 
Why? Because ultimately the plan of this debaucherous society we live in is one to remove the fiber of who God has created us to be so that one day we would look just like society, we would breathe like society, we would interact like society, our language would be the same as society, and ultimately that, that scripture where it says we are a pe peculiar people would be far from our lips. Because ultimately we've allowed society to shape us to the point and maybe you think, well, Mark, you're a bit wrong there because I don't watch these movies or I don't see these things or I don't engage with these type of personalities. The sheer fact that you would wake up in the morning and drive past the billboard that would talk to you about your body and say that your body is not good enough, you've been shaped by society. It's telling you every single day that you need to be more of who you are. And the ultimate thing is that you are a sinner who is in so need of a savior. So when people are digging deep to try and find what their identity is in themselves, they are dipping into a cesspool of sinful brokenness. There is no clear answer in that space. We have to look beyond to the one, beyond the societal sandpapers of our lives, into the one who created us, our Father, who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And because of that, I can stand as a son secure in who I am because I know that I have a father and I'm not allowing the sandpaper of society to keep shaping and bring doubt and insecurity and thoughts. Because the upward prayer of, of all reorders our inner lives. As we start to engage in the spirit, it's like we are substituting the sandpaper of society and we're allowing God to remold and reshape us into the identity that He's ultimately called us to. He's helping us with our desires. He's helping us, as we read His Word, to shape our thoughts. Where in our thoughts, they've gone awry. God would come and say, Mark, just bring it back a bit. Read my Word. Allow this to saturate your life. Allow this to so govern your ways of thinking, the decision-making of your life, how you engage, how you reorder and shape and allow His Word to be digested by who you are. When we pray your kingdom come, we are declaring that He is King, that He has a kingdom that will rule and reign first in my inner life through the Spirit of God and His Word to us. That is how we see His kingdom come. I want to call the musicians up just as I touch on my last point under this heading, the upward prayer of all reorders my inner lives. Your kingdom come is the first one and your will be done. Calvin adds that to pray thy will be done is to submit not only our wills to God, but even our feelings so that we do not become despondent, bitter and hardened by the things that befall us. If it's his will, God, then it's your will. When I look at society and I look at what happens around me and even in my own life, I have to sit and go, God, I do not understand. I do not understand, but if I, if I could just understand that, Lord, it's your will in these moments, then, then, Father, there's a sense of peace in my life. I don't know why. I can't answer that question, but, God, it's your will. Let it be done. I know what my will is as Mark McKinley but Lord, let your will be done. We started today by highlighting the posture of humility. Humility has a beautiful fragrance about it, and it's the place where we hand over our lives 
It's the place we hand over our wills. It's the place we hand over our kingdoms. It's the place where we realize that for so long I've been wheeling my throne into the throne room of God to compete with Him. And yet now, today, God says, Mark, in humility, you realize that the only posture we have before God is lying face before Him, acknowledging that actually He is worthy of it all. That in prayer, that is awe and wonder in who God is, is caught up in the pursuit of Him, not in the pursuit of the list that I have on my fridge of prayer requests. It starts in this place of upward prayer of awe, of who God is. Would we trust that the hand of God would come and be placed on our lives this morning to trust that ultimately, God, it is your will. It's the will of our Father. It's the will of a, from a son to a father in prayer that, God, ultimately, you are high and lifted up. And today, we want our prayers to be upward in awe of you in our times together. Let's all stand. Let's all stand as we end off. Maybe today you find yourself needing to recalibrate your prayer life. Maybe you've started your prayers with more of your centered view of what your needs are. But today there would be this stirring in your heart to say, God, it's you, it's you, it's you. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe today God wants to stir you to a place where you respond again. Where maybe you look upon your prayer life and you go, you know what, I'm going to scrap this for now. I want to come back to this place where I'm able to lift up Psalm 100 and start to declare who you are. That I can walk around my house and I can walk around the garden and my businesses and with unashamedly delight, we were able to lift up the name of Jesus in every area in prayer and declaration. Maybe you've never come to a place this morning where you've surrendered your life to Jesus. You don't know our Father who is in heaven. John 14 reminds us, as I said earlier on, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're in that place where you've never surrendered your life to Christ, we'd love to pray with you straight after the meeting right here. Let this time sink in. As I said in the beginning, we get the privilege of being able to commune this side of eternity with the one who put the stars in the sky. So Father, I pray even in this moment that Lord, as we have opened up your word and, and just stirred our hearts, I pray that you would be shaping in us, oh God, a new view. A view, Lord God, that is glorious. A view, Lord God, that is high and lifted up. That Father, ultimately, Lord God, you're building your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but it requires the people, your people, to have a firm foundation in this area of prayer. That this morning we reminded again that, Lord God, we pray because of who you are, not because of the needs we have. We pray because you are high and lifted up, because we declare your lordship, that we are in awe and wonder of who you are. In Jesus' name.